Digital Gonzo, episode 122, dated 7th of March 2013, My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. My Little Pony, My Little Pony, ah, My Little Pony, I used to wonder what friendship could be, My Little Pony, until you all shared its magic with me, big adventure, tons of fun, a beautiful heart, faithful and strong, sharing kindness, it's an easy feat, and that's Yes, your eyes and ears are not deceiving you. This is a real, mostly serious podcast, and it's being done in the interests of science. With me to explain the, in candor and familiarity that I may be lacking are Daniel Floyd of Extra Credits. Hello. And Connor Milford, known on the Gonzo Planet forums as Zephyr Light. Howdy. Gentlemen, back when I produced Digital Cowboys, Tony and I brought in special guests who knew all about the topics that we had set for the show, which meant that we didn't have to become mini-specialists in this particular subject, and we could interview these guys as, as the voice of knowledge. And that is what you are today, the men inside. Back in the early 80s, while myself and my male friends were having Transformers thrust down our collective throats, not literally, that would be hideous, using a cynically marketed cartoon to sell toys from Hasbro, our female equivalents were being sold the first generation of My Little Ponies. So straight away we have to get off our high horses, because any crimes committed by the original cartoon, as twee and gender-targeted as it was, were perfect analogues of Hasbro's bot franchise. The first of three animated shows ran from 1984 till 1987, and like many of its day, was produced by Marvel. The second was My Little Pony Tales, which ran for 26 weeks, that's half a year only, in 1992. And technically, these first two shows covered Generation 1 of the toy lines, with Generations 2 and 3 coming in 1997 and 2003, respectively, but without a dedicated cartoon. In 2010, Friendship is Magic was unleashed along with a fourth generation of toys, after decades without a solid, long-running accompanying show to galvanise sales. As with the previous two, it was targeted at young girls between the ages of, say, 4 and 12. However... Something happened that even marketers weren't expecting. It was actually really quite well written, well animated, and appealing to broader age groups. In particular, a movement of 13 to 30-something males who follow the series. It's natural to assume that there's either a hefty pinch of irony behind their fandom, men who were boys the first time this marketing machine reared its head, now taking sarcastic interest in a show their grown-up sisters might not give a second glance to. I know my sister certainly doesn't. It's possible a certain percentage may have started out like this but the ones who stayed on are not doing so because the cynical gag gets funnier with every passing month it's also possible to assume that they liked the first show and or toys and have simply taken the best part of three decades to canter out of their pony loving closets from this the unresearched could assume that they are to a man either deeply effeminate or flaming homosexuals this is more than likely in some instances but not the majority case the third knee-jerk reaction of surprise is the notion that these men, or bronies, have an unsavoury interest in young girls. This is an understandable reaction, but again, in terms of the emerging culture, dead wrong. Your average brony is straight, attached, and a fan of other great animated shows such as Avatar or Young Justice. Now, one of the chief remits of this episode is to be neither judgmental nor overly defensive of the brony movement. This is about digging deeper from the outside. Because that's the kicker, folks. The show is actually pretty good. 
from what I've seen, it's not reached the depths of story or serious overarching mythology from the above-mentioned shows, but it's certainly funny, frequently clever, very fast-paced, lovingly characterised, and frankly gorgeous to look at. It has a flash animation style that positions it as a savvy, modern successor to the wide-eyed, somewhat shallow antics of the earlier series. Episodes focus on two or more of the central sextet of Teenage Ponies. And it begins with a Harry Potter-style outsider being introduced to a new town, and every episode manages to have a valid message behind it that's apportioned out with charming humour rather than the He-Man sledgehammer. How old are you, Dan? Uh, about 28. And Connor? Going to be 20 this year. Okay, so, Connor, you definitely weren't there when in the early 80s there was a supposition from the Mothers of America that there was far too many violent TV shows out there on, on TV. So the creators were often forced at cancellation point to crowbar in a message, usually about looking twice. Oh, the attack on the is like, remember yes. now, Cortho says, you know... Exactly. Like, oh, yeah. Elena tried taking a magic potion which she thought would help her. Well, she found out there aren't any magic potions. And you know what? There aren't any magic drugs either. Anytime you take one from anybody but your parents or your doctor, you're taking a very big chance. You're gambling with your health, maybe even your life. Drugs don't make your problems go away. They just create more. I've seen all that. I went back and actually watched it all, so I understand those. They did it with uh, Sonic the Hedgehog as well. Hmm. There's nothing more cool than being hugged by someone you like. But if someone tries to touch you in a place or in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable, that's no good. It's your body. No one has the right to touch you if you don't want them to. So what do you do? First, you say no. Then, you get out of there. Most important, you gotta tell someone you trust. Like your parents, your teacher, a police officer. It's very clumsy in retrospect when you actually watch it as an adult. But uh, usually this kind of stuff is is worked into the actual narrative of the show on, on uh, Friendship is Mad. Usually, on a side note, I've not yet watched any episodes about inappropriate touching. Not once has it actually suddenly appeared out of nowhere that, you know, Twilight Sparkle suddenly turns to the camera and says, you know, Spike learned something today. Because uh, ultimately this is a post-South Park world, and if they did that, it would almost proclaim them as being utterly clueless. It's It's far more savvy than that. Now, it certainly won't grab all of you. It's an acquired taste, and most will watch it incredulously and wonder what all the fuss is about. It's not even about watching it at length until you get it. The click will come soon enough, or not at all. But I can guarantee that if you all watch an episode or two, then more than a handful of you will wind up liking it or even loving it. Fortunately for us, entire episodes are in abundance on YouTube in impressive visual quality. So if you do decide to watch it, it won't be hard at all to track down from your PC or tablet. The premise is straightforward. In a world devoid of humans, anthropomorphic horses are the dominant species. They share the land with other non-talking animals and occasionally mythical creatures and live in towns and houses doing people things, usually with a pony twist. Bookish, worrisome Twilight Sparkle moves from Cantalot to Ponyville and has to make friends for the first time in her life. The ponies she meets end up becoming incredibly special to her, and although not everybody gets along all the time, each episode ends up on a note of satisfaction and a lesson learned. What Dan and Connor are here to do is to explain in greater depth the appeal of the show to such an unexpected demographic, what makes it special, and if you're going to take the plunge, which episodes you might want to watch. 
I just say that it's really entertaining hearing you describe this plot synopsis in the manner that you usually do for all the other things you talk about. <laughs> I'm literally sitting here giggling like a schoolgirl. <laughs> well, I mean, how else would you describe it? Because ultimately, from an outsider's point of view, it's really difficult to make all of these colorful pictures look like they have much of a narrative. You That's wouldn't expect to find one there. Yeah. First off, let's start talking about Lauren Faust because she is the showrunner for the first series and a lot of this came from her. She has been in animation for a good long while. She was a animator on a, a older animated movie, Cats Don't Dance, which is really entertaining, by the way. Mm. Uh, also animator on The Iron Giant, also phenomenal. Mm. Um, I forgot that. Yeah, she is. Uh, she later went on to work as a story artist on the Powerpuff Girls and... Uh, a, the head writer on Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, both of which are also pretty phenomenal uh, kids' animated shows, and um, happened to be created by her husband, Craig McCracken, who is pretty great in general. And then she went on to create this, which is her first show that she was actually the creator on, and she's gone on to work on some other things since. I noticed a phrase uh, while I was uh, reading up on this called new sincerity. It's exactly like it sounds. A lot of the viewers watch the show without a shred of irony and without the uh, cynicism that our generation and indeed the generation before us have become famed for. It didn't even start recently. It's actually started in the, uh, the, the sort of mid to early 80s. It's simply watching something for what it is. It doesn't always have to be a clever, ironic take on, uh, on on something. There doesn't always have to be an angle. Although there is, there are definitely angles and clever ironies in here. Uh, they're more like Easter eggs rather than the point of the show. There have been several um, pieces of media coming out that have clearly been appealing to this kind of new sincerity thing. It's coincidental that we were that you had me on talking about the Muppets just last week because I'd say that's another one that tries to encourage you to approach it sincerely and just enjoying it on its surface as a cheerful, genuine thing rather than having than it having to poke fun at anything or mm. encourage you to help along that cynicism, help you, help you enjoy it in a cynical way. It's just what it is on the surface, a very cheerful thing. And it, it's much the same with this. And I think you kind of have to approach it that way. I don't think it's a, um, a coincidence at all that you were on both shows, Dan. I actually think it's more something to do with you. That <laughs> might very well be. That this kind of thing actually does appeal to you on a fundamental level. The other two things that um, I started thinking about were um, Disney's more recent output. Uh, Princess and the Frog and uh, Tangled specifically have, I mean, they, they do have a dry sense of humor and they are much more knowing. And, uh, there is a phrase which I think has now become so antiquated that it doesn't really even uh, apply anymore, which is postmodern. I'm not going to attempt to define it, but there is a certain amount of, the best way of putting it is, yes, we know. And there could be a great deal of humor coming from that. I mean, I've found many, uh, I've really enjoyed many types of media that you are too, that are best enjoyed in kind of a snarky, cynical, postmodern way. But South Park I, family guy. Oh yeah, for sure. But I think that's kind of is what makes things like the Muppets and this sort of refreshing and the Disney output, I agree with you, it's kind of refreshing. It's just a kind of media that doesn't show up quite as often anymore. So it feels like something that if you haven't had for a while, you kind of miss. And as you know, Dan, I'm very cynical. It's occasionally um, somewhat uh, essential for me to get a palate cleanser like this to remind me that there is... I don't know, it's not just that there is some good in the world, because I get that from Lord of the Rings, but ultimately that there is an innocence about this, and Lyra adores it like you wouldn't believe. The only <laughs> thing that's actually managed to get her off My Little Pony at the moment is the new Nickelodeon Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Also quite good. Yeah. The My Little Pony is uh, produced up here in Vancouver, about two blocks from where I work, as is the 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I know some people who I've met some people while they were working on ponies who have now moved on to uh, turtles. So it's it's fun working in this town. So I mean, could you just saunter down to their offices wearing your Pixar staff badge and go? Can I just come in and look around? Uh, I did not like exactly like that, but I did send in an email. <laughs> I've got in contact by just sending him an email saying like, "Hey, I'd love to meet some of you guys at some point," oh. and did get end up getting to browse around and. All that so. But when I come to Vancouver, and I'm gonna, you're gonna have to pretty much take me on a tour. So For sure. I'm pretty much gonna really insist. <laughs> a great deal of this show's quality can be credited to Lauren Faust. I mean, she, part of what makes it so appealing in the first place, and, and I'm not wanting to skip ahead here, so sorry if I am, to me anyway, is just that it is significantly better than it needs to be. Mm hmm. Which really impresses me. I mean, you said it earlier, it's much like the original My Little Pony animated series and Transformers and a lot of various TV shows. The only thing that it really needs to do to be considered successful is sell the toys. And for the most part, you can see that. If you look at a lot of these uh, shows over time, you can see that's all they really needed to do and nobody really put in a lot of effort to make them do much more. Mm. And they succeeded at what they were supposed to do. But I am always impressed when someone is handed a task like that and goes into the situation saying, no, I'm going to actually make this the best possible thing that I can, and then proceeds to do just that. So I always admire that in a creative person. You can see all the love and care that they actually put into each episode and actually care about it, because while Hasbro, uh, at the very beginning, had this going on to sell toys, um, they really didn't have any control over the TV series, and they didn't really have much governing over it they would say um hey we need to sell this balloon so find a way to put it in there and they somehow you know fit it in there so when you see that little balloon in season one that was hasbro saying hey put this in there and so they worked it in there and made their image just come together but they never really had to compromise on much so everybody had free reign to do whatever it took and it really comes through you know the irony with that balloon it's not even how she gets into Ponyville. I just rewatched the first episode again, and she gets flown in in a chariot. That that balloon does not enter into it. It's just in the title. <laughs> They've brought it in, I think, in some episodes since, just randomly when you need a balloon. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, it, it's one of those things. Um, I think it was Fall Weather Friends. They have a uh, race, and Pinkie Pie is up in it, and she's doing oh, yeah. the whole announcer bit. It is really still entertaining me that we're talking about this on your show. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to get my head around it myself. Um, okay, uh, next question. How did you guys first get into the show? Let's start with comic. Honestly, I was one of the people who was really cynical about it and was doing it for irony's sake. I uh, was introduced through DeviantArt um, and Steam, really. Um, I used to play Team Fortress 2 a lot, and there wasn't really a way to uh, get away from seeing some sort of spray or tag that had something from it. And being sort of a media buff i knew about the uh show in the 80s so i thought this is not going to be anything good why uh why are people you know posting this up is it just something for irony and eventually my best friend actually said you know what we're being a little bit closed-minded about this pony thing why don't we sit down and watch a few episodes so i sat down and i watched the first two episodes and said this is mm, i i guess i'll give it a little bit more shot because by the time that i actually got into the series um i think season one had just finished up and we didn't even know that season two was coming along so i watched about four episodes and yeah i i found myself pretty 
in love with it. Um, to explain it in the way that my friend put it to me, he said, it's Dungeons and Dragons with ponies. And I kind of sat there and thought, I'll give it a shot. As in the cartoon, not the game. I hope my suit doesn't rust. I hope those ugly things don't come after us again. Where did those things come from anyway? And what's wrong with our weapons? This must have been Venger's work. Well, let's get out of here before he starts working overtime. Uh, Well, a little bit of both, actually. That was really my first exposure, but after that, I kind of have this thing where I like to go, like, face first into everything, just, you know, dive right head first in and get right down into it. So I started hitting up sites. Um, There's Equestria Daily, which popped up. uh, It's basically the pony news site. It's where everything that you can find about the fandom is uh, compiled and put on one easy-to-use, friendly site. From there, I pretty much ended up uh, hanging up in IRC chat rooms and getting to know people, getting to know artists, and just kind of blossom forth from there. Uh, it's like I'm still going on right now with it. I don't see myself stopping anytime soon. Dan, how did you get into the show? I actually got into it through extra credit, sort of. Um, at one point, way back, I think toward the end of our first year, we uh, brought in a guest artist to help us out named Erin Siegel. And she, in doing all the uh, art for the episode, randomly slipped in a, uh image of Pinkie Pie, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, I remember which, that one. Yeah, which I, I mean, when I had no idea what it was, but I just saw it and then okay, whatever. It it works to express whatever's being said at the time, so it's fine. We'll leave it. And uh, we released the episode. And I, in reading through the comments on the Escapists for that episode and the responses, I was seeing a lot of people getting really excited about something called Pinkie Pie. <laughs> and so I went back in and started looking through the episodes like what are they talking it must be that it must be that image i don't know what that is but i why and it just confused me as so big in animation i find this hard to believe i there's a lot of things that come out that i don't keep track of well enough Mm. there's there's a lot especially like in the realm of kids tv there is a lot of animation out there that is i'm still discovering like i just was directed toward gravity falls like this week and it's actually really entertaining so i need to I found another one I need to catch up on, and I still haven't. I have yet to really go in and watch a great deal of Adventure Time as well. So there's plenty left for me to catch up on. But anyway, I didn't realize this at first, but we had a kind of a string of guest artists. Then it was around the time that Allison hurt her shoulder, and Aaron sent an email to all the guest artists that we pulled in, saying, "Let's do a thing where we slip in a pony image into every single episode we do," nice. and they did. And so I kept those responses kept on showing up, and so eventually I figured out what they were talking about, looked it up. And decided, decided to watch the first episode and was immediately really impressed because once I learned it was My Little Pony, I expected cheap animated show just made to sell toys. And this was actually a pretty high quality product, like really nice aesthetic design, well animated, strongly performed. In general, there really wasn't like a weak point to it. And you have to kind of get over that initial hump of I'm literally watching and enjoying a young girl's TV show. But once you kind of like, Get, let that part kind of escape your mind. It's really easy to kind of slip into and just enjoy. And uh, I've just kind of been keeping tabs on it as new episodes come out ever since and still enjoying it. It's still pretty well made. Um, well, could you remember a specific moment when you suddenly went, oh, you know what? I like this. That This is a question to both of you. Actually, I think it was about whenever I realized that I had watched halfway into the entire first season and then I was looking at myself going, 
this is incredible. Why have I been so close-minded? And I think that that was about um, Dragon Shy. That was it. I was actually really surprised whenever you said that Lyra was watching that um, the first time that you started speaking with me about uh, My Little Pony over the forums. So that's probably one of my favorite episodes because that's when I really knew that I was I was getting deep into this and it was actually starting to grow on me because I started realizing I was being a lot nicer to everyone around me and started using the morals that were in the show in actual life, the whole new sincerity thing that you were talking about. I didn't know there was a name for it. It was just something that you know was being adapted without even thinking about it. I think you were the first person who told me about Lyra Heartstrings, weren't you? Yeah, that was me. Thank you. Just to fill you folks in, there's a background pony called Lyra Heartstrings. I think she might have been named that by the fan community. There's uh, three Lyras in existence, as far as I'm concerned. Lyra Balacqua, Lyra Heartstrings, and Lyra Shaw. There's a couple of others, I'm sure. But uh, the fact that there's someone, some other connection, like a really you know significant connection now, has, has hooked Lyra um, Lion and Sinker. There's a, a lot of um, interaction between the fan community and the show. It's kind of like the the light side of what happened with Mass Effect in terms of the, what the fans do and say. Very occasionally does filter into the actual um, show. Uh, there's a character in the first episode who I believe due to an, uh, an animation mistake ended up with crossed eyes and she got dubbed Derpy Hooves on the uh, fan forums and uh, ended up being mentioned by name in one of the episodes. Unfortunately, some people quite rightly uh, suggested that it might be construed as being unthinkingly cruel to uh, the handicapped, which, of course, it wasn't consciously, but either way, they uncrossed her eyes, changed her name, and switched her voice back out again. Which, I don't know, it is... Obviously, this show is not out in any way to offend people, so I can understand why they did that. But I do kind of like the fact that that people actually got to influence the show itself. And the fact that Lyra Hartstrings now has an action figure with her name on on it um, is, is, is pretty huge. I think you see a lot of that influence, especially with background characters and subtle little gags that they work into the show that you know the six-year-old girls are not going to get. And it's not really made a major part of the show's plot or anything. It's not like you have to know the stuff to follow along, but it's just very subtle little things, like having three ponies as background characters in a bowling alley who look like the main characters from The Big Lebowski. <laughs> I was just... I just watched the beginning of that episode. It's Pony Pox from Season 2, Episode 6. And there's Jesus Quintana there as well. Yeah. And... <laughs> That's, and, uh, a, that's a scene I can't show Lyra for years. No. Until she gets, she was like, Some, what's that? And what, she wanted to know why me and her mother were laughing so much. <laughs> There's a Spider Jerusalem gag that they throw in there later on in you season. You kidding? No. Season three, there's an episode called Bad, uh, One Bad Seed and when Apple Bloom is getting ready to go see her cousin, she's basically fretting and uh, running around and getting dressed. And all of a sudden, she pops up, and she's wearing Spider Jerusalem's glasses. She it's like is one side's oh. rectangular and one side's rounded. So they've made the rectangle blue rather than green, and the circle green rather than red. But she absolutely is. Jesus, Quintana! <laughs> Final scene of I think the uh, premiere of season two, the whole um, Return of Harmony, the one with Discord, the entire. Uh, award ceremony where the ponies are all given medals or whatnot at the very end is Star a shot-for-shot shot, is yeah is a shot-for-shot shot recreation of the end of A New Hope. 
Yes, I'd noticed, and they even um, they even iris out in that same way to the credits. Exactly. It was the whole sort of give them a Star Trek villain, give them a Star Wars ending. Which Star Trek villain was he? Q. It was John Delancey actually playing uh, Discord. I am so sorry. I am not familiar with Q. I don't watch Star Trek enough. It was the next generation. Very entertaining. Yeah, a next generation character who's an extremely entertaining recurring villain. Gotcha. Okay. To me, he was quite like Loki, but of course, Loki is quite like Q. Actually, yeah. So what do people say when you mention that you love it? Do you walk down the street wearing your My Little Pony Friendship is Magic t-shirts and wait for the uh, reactions? Or do you keep it under your hat? And when you let it out, what do people say? Um, Dan, do you want to take this one first? Uh, I don't generally outwardly broadcast my fandom of it. I do have, like, i got a few little... So what extent my... you are literally broadcasting your fandom of it right now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, like I don't like necessarily keep it a secret if someone asks or if it comes up in conversation. But and I have like a few little toys amidst my other toys and stuff at my cube at work. But um, yeah, generally I don't go out like trying to uh, spread the word or whatnot, trying to or trying to convince a lot of other people to that I know to watch it, unless it just happens to kind of come up. But if, uh, if Allison's listening right now, uh, next show could you animate Dan? A strider pony. <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be a pretty funny gag, actually. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I have mentioned it to a couple of coworkers here and there, but uh, and they're all animators as well. I mean, we tend to be fans of kids' animated shows, so we're kind of primed to like that thing more than other people. But yeah, no, I generally don't make a big show of it. Connor, much like Dan, I really don't go around, you know, preaching it like some sort of sermon. Um, I do have. Seven pony shirts that I kind of rotate with my other geeky shirts, you know, superheroes and stuff like that, you know, mm-hmm. comic books. And I do have quite a few of the toys. Um, I'm counting 28 on my desk amongst Gundams and different Hulk and Punisher and Laura Croft. Yeah, you got 28 just on your desk. Yeah, 28 sitting right on my desk. How much um, desk have you got left? 
Oh, well, it's quite a big computer table, actually. I'm, I'm sitting across the room right now, but, uh, it, it holds. A lot of them are the little pocket ponies. Some of them are the collectible brushables. I prefer the pocket ones, but I'm open with it when anyone asks me about it. Um, I've met quite a few people who are fans of the show just by wearing shirts, but I don't go around being like, oh, are you a brony? It's like, you need to be a brony. You know, I'm not really a, in that, everyone's That's a face tough sell. It. Yeah. It, a lot of people try and say that it's some sort of lifestyle, but I, I really see it more as something that you, you just love. You know, it's like mm. anything else. You you watch the show, you enjoy it, you partake in the media, and you give back. I pretty much am open with everybody that I know. My family knows that I watch the show. I, I get a bunch of crap from my dad, but he just is, you know, poking at me, making fun. Uh, everyone else is pretty open to it because everyone that I know loves animation and is is giving it a shot. It's very Marmite, though, so, you know, it's like you either like it or you don't. I am the luckiest of fans of uh, Friendship is Magic in that I have a four-year-old excuse, just <laughs> just desperate to watch more every day. So it's like, yeah, I guess we can put another one on. But that ultimately has been the reason why I haven't really sat down and made a concerted effort to actually watch it. It's just been there and on, and she watches an episode or two every couple of days. And, uh, you know, I pop my head in and out, and sometimes I'll sit with her and watch most of an episode. If like people like Gary Blower, if they're listening, will have uh, a, a straightforward, easy out excuse to just sit down and go, right, I'm not actually necessarily watching it, but, you know, my daughter likes it suddenly because I introduced is, her to it. It is a very easy show to just enjoy casually here and there if you want to. You do not have to go full brony obsession, but you do not have to make it your lifestyle. Some people very clearly do, but... It's just an enjoyable little show, like a lot of other an- enjoyable animated kids shows. This is actually another one of the uh, questions I got down the line, but uh, how can the average man, and I would not class either of you guys as average men, but uh, how, does, how, how would the average listener get over those barriers in their head that tell them that they should not like it or even watch this show? Well, first off, just because that it's made for girls doesn't mean that it's bad that's one thing that lauren said whenever she first made the show that she does not make tv just for girls she makes a good show and it's relatable to everyone it just has female characters they have to get over the stigma that they've built up in their head over the fact that you know this is a girl show and i'm you know um, most of them are men and they can't seem to get over the fact that they're so used to masculine media and anything effeminate seems to be a threat to them. We're drifting towards overly defensive here. Let's just Sorry. rein it in. That's fine. Sorry, cool. reining it. There is something to be said for the oppressiveness of the pink that surrounds little girl culture. Uh, if you go into Toys R Us and you go into the boys' action figure section, it's usually two shelves long, as in like two aisles long, uh, there'll be just a, a selection of your Marvel superheroes and your Star Wars and Ninja Turtles, depending on whether they're in or out, and, and another recurring Some Halo and everything else. Yeah, maybe a bit of Halo, and you got your uh, Ben Ten at the end, whatever the new hotness is, which will be gone in a year's time. And, and yeah, it's usually kind of actiony type uh, shows, and, and they're usually pretty colourful. Uh, but you get a lot of um, recurring colours of uh, like green, dark blue red there's a quite a spectrum in there i would imagine it's not massively appealing to girls the average girl obviously geeky girls i love every single one of you who go into the toy aisle and go awesome yeah brilliant but you're not the majority however if you go into the girls aisle 
it is just this tidal wave of pink. Uh, it is abominably pink. They, there may be some lilac in there, but specifically in the Barbie section, and there'll be like two or three um, aisles long of just pink. It is extremely, it can be extremely scary. I mean, going through, for me, it's, you know, I'll be walking through looking at all of the boy stuff and then go to the pink aisle and all of a sudden it's like, I should not be here. I get looked at so strange whenever it's like, and I'm getting this one and this one and this one. It's like, so do you have, you know, a nephew or a niece or anything? No, these are for me. I can see, I was going to say, why would pink be scary? But of course, you're actually going in there with a purpose. You're not just drifting past. You're going to buy. Right. I am looking down. I'm having to walk down past all the other stuff that I'm not Mm. interested in, yet it's there. It's, you know, in my face, completely and utterly hovering over me. So I am completely and utterly a bit freaked out whenever it's like I see... You know, a horde of like small little girls come running through that are there for the rest of the toys and it's like mm-hmm. I'm sitting there in the very end cap like trying to snatch away as many of the ponies as I can before they can, you know, end up pushing me away and being like, you're not supposed to be here. <laughs> but it's difficult to balance up what's inane. When you go into the girls section, you get babies, princesses, fairies, animals, fashion models and pop stars. And pretty much variations on that the whole way through. You go to the boys' aisle, you get Star Wars, Space Marines, superheroes, robots, plus the latest tie-ins with PG-13 action movies. Harry Potter, Prince of Persia, Lord of the Rings. But it mostly revolves around entertainment. And up to a certain point, girls' stuff was more about aspirational things. And uh, when I say aspirational, it's in freaking inverted commas in terms of you can aspire to be a mum you can aspire to have a kitchen and a baby and uh it wasn't really until the 80s that uh, frankly that they started targeting either kids with entertainment that actually tied in with their toys i mean like there, there was the red ranger bb rifle obviously in the 40s <laughs> but but this marketing machine suddenly started and i'm trying to work out and balance in my head why i feel like, for the past 30 years, I've considered that pink aisle to be inane and the boy aisle to be, if not fascinating, extremely compelling. And there's no straightforward answer. There really isn't. I mean, there's just... I don't know. It seems like that something's more tangible about all those different franchises. There's usually a story to be told. There's usually something to be drawn from it. But the just, like you said, pure aspiration... That's something a lot more intangible. That's something that seems like that it's forcing you to try and think in a certain way instead of taking this and, mm. you know, using it in your own sort of imagination. I mean, they both have long-running franchises. Star Wars has obviously got 36-year history, so that's never going to go away. The superheroes of the Marvel Silver Age have been around since the early 60s. But Barbie's been around since 1959, since before Spider-Man. And obviously, you know, My Little Pony's been around just, just as long as all these 80s franchises, like Transformers, that keep dying and coming back, dying and coming back. Well, Transformers is not dying anytime soon anymore. I don't know. It's, it's pretty much here to stay now. Even if Michael Bay gets a hold of it and just Again. completely rams it into the ground. He's gonna. <laughs> yeah. No one's... I mean, basically, when it makes less than a billion, they'll consider that it's making a loss. But yeah, that's the thing. If there is a perfect straightforward comparison between Hasbro's boys' toys and Hasbro's girls' toys in the 80s, which, to me, the derision that boys, back when I was a kid, heaped on My Little Pony 
Someone actually pulled up this. You, I don't know if this ever reached your playgrounds. Probably not because you're a bit younger than me, Dan, and a lot younger than me, uh, Connor. But My Little Pony, Skinny and Bony. That was the thing that went around the playground. It's not even observant. What does that even mean? That I doesn't don't, seem to make sense. I don't know. But don't they would it. sing that. It was like the Jingle Bells, Batman Smells thing. I think they would just do it to annoy the girls. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm just trying to get into my own head here. And I'd look at the, the seven-year-old Alex and say, hey, seven-year-old Alex, you're watching My Little Pony in uh, in 25-odd years. <laughs> There's a long, very complicated cultural issue that we All tend tied to have in with when, it toys. To, when it comes to gender division, and it does start very young. So mm. I think this was a lot more complex than we're probably going to unravel here. Yeah. Okay, well, that's, yeah, that's not our remit here. We're just, we're, we're talking about this show. And ultimately, the thing to take away from this is that this show has transcended that. However, it is not flawless. The we- reason I mentioned the pink was there are very few solid representations of males in this. It's almost a perfect flip of the average boys animated show. Except that the average boys animated show doesn't have characterization even for the guys. I'm talking more in sheer weight of gender bias numbers. Except for even G.I. Joe, you've got um, Baroness, Lady J, Scarlet. Transformers, you eventually had R.C. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, they had April the whole time and occasionally Venus. But there isn't even a token boy if you don't count Big Macintosh, Applejack's brother. Boys get short shrift in this show. There is no identifiable male. So when you put it up against something like The Last Airbender, it does not score massive points in terms of really giving a wider array of kids, something to identify with. So ultimately, it is a certain amount of leap for the young boys to go, you know what, I can actually see bits of myself in some of these ponies. Grow up and they're girls. Because that's that's big for for young boys who actually start seeing themselves in girls. It's quite challenging, but it, it doesn't seem like that. All it seems like is that... The only boys you ever get to see are those goofballs in the, in the uh, first couple of series who, are, who you know, don't it's have anything to it. Is that them? Yeah, okay. They, they have very little to offer. Shining Armor is actually quite a good uh, uh, male role model. He's, you know, uh, Twilight Swackle's brother. I guess there's Spike, if you wanted to argue that. Okay. Yeah, okay, there is Spike, but he is a bit pony-whipped. He is. <laughs> I can't believe I forgot Spike. Spike is Twilight Sparkle's baby dragon companion and actually does take the April O'Neil role in this particular show. It is it is interesting because we don't have a lot of shows, that at least any otherwise decent shows, that do have that mm. problem that I can Star think of. Star Wars had is- Princess Leia. There's almost a need for really at least one strong male character in this show, possibly. I think it, I could, I think it could use an extra... I, mean, I don't think it would hurt the show at all. I'd, I'd say for anyone wanting to ex- like justify in their mind watching or even potentially enjoying this, I think our ilk of people are certainly, as we have already discussed, not above enjoying an animated show or enjoying an animated show that's primarily aimed at kids. I mean, we have plenty of them that we already adore. The only difference with this one is that it is primarily targeted toward girls with a lot more girl imagery, mm. but... I was trying to think about this uh, earlier this week, and I was trying to think of another, and I tried asking Twitter as well, are there any other shows targeting girls primarily that have been of extremely high quality? Powerpuff 
Girls. Which, I, that, which I would say yeah, it was, was that was yeah. about the closest one I could think of. But even that one, while the lead characters are girls and there's definitely a lot of pink around, it's a much more of a, it's kind of a universal appeal sort of show and a bit more of a at like it's a superhero remove, show. There's a lot it's of a superhero action. show. Yeah, it's yeah. very. I'd say there's like a bit of a like some very like the superhero stuff is a very boys show kind of thing. The all the uh, look and the colors and the all female like character cast is much more of a female targeted show kind of thing and so i'd say there's some universal appeal there but i'd say that one's a pretty close contender and again another one that lauren faust worked on i think if there was maybe another i mean my little pony is like undeniably very much it fits into that sort of aimed at girls show with lots of ponies and hearts and rainbows rainbows it's it's not trying to hide the fact that it is very much what we would call a girly show and as kids we would have young boys we would have avoided like the plague although actually lyra had to be told fairly recently rainbow dash was a girl she was under the impression he was it was a boy well how did that sink in how did she take that she went oh okay (laughs) she does i mean as far as she was concerned because she's um she ate a lot of avatar last year there there is no gender divide to her it's not a case of girls don't hang out with boys boys don't hang out with girls so actually i think she just surprised her because to her naturally in her head she didn't see any uh divide i mean that may be a good thing Mm. definitely but yeah if there had been another show like this one primarily aimed very much aimed at girls that was of this high quality i don't think this one would seem quite so i don't think the fandom for this one would seem quite so bizarre and uh out of nowhere. I think there just really Got aren't it. very many examples. If she well had been really good, that was clearly t- that was He Man for girls. But even I mean He Man's but even that's, even Spider that's still like a, but even that like is still like a He Man show. But now yeah. it is a female character that's leading it. It's mm. still it's this is one that like if there was a rainbow bright or a strawberry shortcake or some sort of thing that's very much this is aimed at girls like that for that for a little eight-year-old boy would just set off sirens immediately. This is not for me. Mm. But that was really actual, good quality. But yeah, but really well-produced, well-animated. nothing back in those days. That was true. that going to be the uh, Mysterious Cities of Gold and Ulysses 31 were actually really pretty good, but they were not gender-targeted. And before you guys start the hate mail, what I mean is, by today's standards, if you watch the original Transformers cartoon, the original Mask, the original He-Man the original Thundercats, the original real Ghostbusters, they don't hold up against modern shows. That all changed in the 90s with Spider-Man and X-Men, which were considerably better, although their modern-day counterparts are a quantum leap in terms of delivery and storytelling. And Batman the Animated Series, which to date has not been bettered by a Batman show. Yeah, so I I just think the only reason this feels like such a strange unexplainable thing is because there hasn't really been a show to pull off this to pull this off quite yet and before you folks go get up in arms and say how dare you say transformers wasn't the best show ever i love transformers and i love thundercats and i love teenage mutant ninja turtles but i think i love the concepts more than i love the execution of the original shows because my god if you try and sit down and watch them they are unwatchable by today's standards i can attest to that and but that actually has a note of extreme positivity to it because 25 years on, our generation's children are being served far, far better written shows, which, are, I mean, they may be there to sell toys, but for some reason, inexplicably, Hasbro has taken a step back and the, the, the recent um, Transformers uh, show is actually pretty good. The new Turtle show, 
very good. My Little Pony, excellent. Ultimate Spider-Man, oh. For some reason, it seems that the quality is is becoming commensurate with the shows that aren't necessarily there to sell toys. Avatar, for me, was always notable for the fact they couldn't get a relationship going with Bandai. It wasn't to sell toys. Quite the opposite. They couldn't sell their toys. Uh, and yet the show still persisted and had a beginning, middle, and end. Uh, and so in 25 years' time, when our children's children are sitting in front of the TV, they're going to be getting the, the kid equivalent of, what's their best TV show going right now? Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. There you go. Oh, everyone loves Breaking Bad. What is Bad. the kid's equivalent of meth-dealing Breaking Bad? Okay, but you, you, get, you get my point. <laughs> the writing yes, on kid shows has ponies gone meth. up significantly. Uh, in 25 years. So, and things are getting better and better. Comics are way better than they were when we were kids. It is a good direction to be moving in. And ultimately, if you want to have rosy tinted glasses and keep those things in the past as sort of these sacred ponies, that's fine. The significant thing is that, that ultimately there was nothing back then that if you really examine it was unimpeachable. Nostalgia is perfectly all well and good. There's lots of things I'm nostalgic for that I realized objectively weren't of super high quality, but TV animation in general suffered a lot starting in the 70s and going into the 80s with the uh, just the real lockdown and censorship and the just it, it, it went through a lot of things that really crippled it. Starting in the 90s, things really started picking up. I mean, we've there's even still a lot of things that, from the 90s that I'd still say are excellent. The Animaniacs and the Tiny Toons. Mm. Warner Brothers put out a lot of good stuff. The uh, Batman animated series, yes. a lot of great stuff that started coming out in that era, and that. Climb and quality is still going up, and we there's Cartoon a lot Network of great as well. Uh, Powerpuff Girls, Samurai Jack, then was, like oh late, yeah, absolutely, yeah, you know, uh, turn of the century, late late nineties stuff, really good things. Huh? And that upward trend has only continued. There's a lot of great kids TV animated stuff mm. out right now, an impressive amount, and, stu- and stuff that's really enjoyable for adults as well. They've really kids TV has really started to embrace the Muppets, Pixar kind of universal family appeal thing, and. Yeah. I think it has improved significantly because of it. Because when you're having to impress someone not only who is five and doesn't know what quality is and their parents, then you have a much higher bar for quality that you have to hit. And it's and it shows. Uh, one show that I never really got my teeth into um, and uh, Gennady Tartakovsky worked on, Symbionic Titan. I never saw that. I'm going to recommend that people try to check it out. Even though, I, you know what, I'm going to say that I'm going to be looking into that. Because it's Tarnikovsky, for the love of God. So, uh, yeah, watch this space. I'll come back to you and tell you guys if Symbionic Titan's any good. It was cancelled in 2010 after only one season. Oh. Aww. Yeah, as they tend to be. Oh, and also, speaking of which, the, the, the recent Marvel and DC animated series, you can compare the 90s X-Men and Spider-Man with um, uh, Spectacular Spider-Man. By the way, have you watched any of that, Dan? I have, yeah. Any good? well made. That, yeah. was my, that was my Christmas present to Dan. It's good. Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes and yeah, the even better Young Justice. There's, the, there's an upward climbing trend, which I really... I, I love the fact that uh, I can put Lyra in front of stuff like this and not worry that her brain will turn to mush. Okay, another question. This might be a fairly obvious one because I've seen the uh, the state of um, pony cons, but uh, how popular is this show with 20 and 30-something women? Well, I figured that it's pretty much an even split. Uh, a lot of the attention just ends up getting thrown at, you know, the male bronies because yeah. they're, you know, kind of out there. It's like they're the ones out of the norm. So the ones that it's marketed towards the female gender, it's a lot easier for people to overlook them. And 
I've had plenty of conversations with girls that have been like, we're here too. Mm. Like, what about us? There are a lot of them, but ultimately, um, uh, it's, it's almost like, uh, saying, hey, geek girls, uh, you're not the new, <laughs> you're not the big interesting thing anymore. Suddenly we got geek boys who are liking things that they shouldn't like. It's, it's almost like it's completely turned full circle. Like, you know, suddenly, you know, girls could be into Star Wars. Okay, what else you got? Boys into ponies? That's, that's more interesting. Absolutely no offense intended to all you female, um, what would be the female equivalent? Honies? Uh, there, <laughs> there is a, there is a term. Do you want to know? There is. What's it, was it? Um, they call them Pegasisters. That's the one, Pegasisters. Okay. Um, absolutely. Yeah, full props to all my Pegasisters out there as well. So some people that are females just prefer to use brony because some say that it's just a unisex term. Because it uh, originally got off of 4chan's uh, slash B board. They were originally slash B and slash CO, and then they just kind of combined into being just bronies. Gotcha. Apparently 4chan actually put, put a moratorium on ponies for some time because there were a lot of strong feelings back and forth about it. That was only a short time, and now it, it would appear that that helped usher in the, the and gain because of that particular moratorium. It, it gained exposure for the Brony movement, right? And even negative press is you know press, so mm-hmm. you're going to get exposure, and that kind of helped get more people in. Another thing that's uh, that somewhat colours the perception of it. Can anyone explain the term furry as it applies to some fans of this show? That's a pretty wide and diverse term in itself. Indeed, uh, yeah. Furry means a lot to other people, but uh, I don't know. I, I think that it's more just people from the furry fandom, you know, like the show, and they kind of have brought it into their own because they're they have their own interests and their own culture. I think, I think we're being vague here. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard to get into it because you know there's people who dress in you know who have art and people who do suiting and people who you know the furry community is its own topic in itself. Yeah. So ultimately, I think the the term furry might be just as offensive if applied to someone as gamer or to me. The word film buff really gets my heckles up. We're tap dancing around the point, which is not what gamer does. Sorry. I will explain the term furry. It is um, a group of people who are interested in, usually, animated characters who are animated animals. And that can take the form of wanting to draw them, that can take the form of wanting to dress as them. For conventions or for personal interest. And occasionally that enters into their private lives. It is important, of course to ensure that the term furry is not a blanket term, meaning person who wants to sleep with animals. I think that that's a good way of putting it. Yes. <laughs> well done. Interest in anthropomorphic animals is pretty pretty straightforward. Furry can mean a person who has an interest in anthropomorphic animals, just as a person can have an interest in anime or Disney. And many different permutations of the term interest. Back in 1991, I was an Baby 
finish off by actually talking about uh, the uh, the series of uh, My Little Pony: Friendship Is Magic. How does it actually develop as a series? Uh, as in, like, if you sat down and watched it, the first uh, twenty six episodes, uh, what will you experience? Well, at the very beginning, um, most of the episodes are uh, one shot slice of life, so you can sit down and view them at any point, and you can get a pretty good establishment of what the characters are and what they stand for, and, of course, they have a self-contained moral that is told. Mm. Um, however, they do kind of have an overarching plot that they do. Um, from season one at the very beginning at episode three, mm. they get a ticket to the Grand Galloping Gala, and everything that happens throughout that entire season is leading up to that gala. So in the midst of that season, there's an episode where Rarity makes them dresses, mm. and you would think that, up. Oh, well, those, you know, what happened to those dresses? At the very end of the season, they pop back up, and it's like, hey, we're going to the gala now. So It's very cleverly done, though. It's more in the terms of detail. It's not something you need to know, but if you've actually watched all the previous episodes, you go, oh, there's the dresses. Oh, there's those things. That's the thing. That's the other thing. Um, but you could just watch that one episode, and it would be charming enough as it is. Right. There's a subtle continuity in it, but... They wanted to make it to where, you know, you can take it in bite-sized pieces. Mm. There is actually, I think we mentioned Disney before, there is a very Disney feel about this particular episode. They they sing a song, which I will play for you very soon, uh, which is about this grand gala that they have uh, built up in their little pony minds as the be-all, end-all of social events. And uh, the whole episode is about how they built this up so much that it can't possibly live up to their expectations. But as always, the uh, show finishes in a very satisfying way. Kind of makes you smile when 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 the credits roll at the end of each show. There's never a sense of sort of oh, it's uh, there's always you know just enough of uh, of a sense of accomplishment, almost like they've finished a level and then got their stat points. The song has a very Stephen Sondheim kind of a. I think it's actually sort of modeled after the song Into the Woods. Actually, it is. Awesome. Into the woods we'll have to go, it may be all in vain, you know. Into the woods, but even so, we have to take the journey. Into the woods and down the dell, the path is straight, I know it well. Into the woods to lift the spell. Into the woods to see the palace. Into the woods to fetch the things. To have the charm. To go to the festival. Into the woods without regret, the choice is made, the task is set. Into the woods without forgetting why I'm on the journey. Into the woods to get my wish, I don't care how the time is now. Into the woods to sell the cow. To make the potion. To go to the festival. Into the woods to grandmother's house. Anyone who goes into watching these shows, you will find that those songs are alarmingly catchy. Mm. I found um, they, will, they will stick in your head. Super Speedy Cider Squeezy was made off of Music Man. You got problems, kid. <laughs> but to go back to the, the Disney thing, um, Rarity is most definitely done up like Cinderella in that particular song. Applejack is actually quite a good analogue for Tiana in uh, Princess and the Frog. And Fluttershy is uh, done up like Briar Rose with her obsession with uh, woodland creatures. They're softly lampooning the Disney princess phenomenon. Whilst at the same time, the, the whole episode, uh, one of the, the key points is that the uh, princess that Twilight Sparkle has as a mentor doesn't have any time to really dole out to individual friends. She's pulled left, right and centre in terms of people who want her attention. This show is actually quite deceptively accomplished at reinforcing enthusiasm and imagination whilst dispelling myths at the same time. It nurtures some of the very best aspects of humanity. 
The series openings of seasons one and two are the most action-packed and fantastical and probably would have the most appeal to um, boys and because they actually deal with the mythology and there's a certain... In, in those two double-length episodes, there is more threat than there is in the, in the entirety of the, uh, the rest of the series. The land of Equestria is in jeopardy at that point. They actually do have to use ancient magic to save it. Yeah, the first pair of episodes for any season are usually a bigger, more adventure type story and then a lot of the uh episodes that follow will be more just a slice of life kind of day in the life just these two friends having a personality clash you know we as adults have uh, have been fed the whole i learned you gotta be yourself a hundred times before and yet watching these guys um come to terms with the uh, messages actually it doesn't feel overwarmed and it doesn't feel like you're being spoon-fed the same old gruel again well, generally, the morality it teaches is not just a kid's level morality. It's generally kind of a universal, this is how friendships and relationships work. Mm. And because they've done a lot of homework in developing a cast of varied and pretty fleshed out characters, I mean, in any one of them, you can probably think of somebody you've known or met who they kind of remind you of. There's a lot of room for characterization and interaction that develops in personality clashes and misunderstandings and the kinds of relationship things that you'll run into probably your entire life. So they don't really have to do the wheel of morality turn, turn, turn thing at the end and explain to you what sort of very simple, sometimes applicable message they're teaching you at the end. And it's not just some very basic don't do drugs kids sort of thing either. It's I think that's a big part of what makes it both a great show for young kids and young girls who are just starting to develop friendships of their own. And, but also, I mean, you can probably take away a gem or two of truth of your own just as an adult male watching it as well. It does have sitcom overtones to that end. Uh, fortunately, though, it doesn't have a moronic laughter track like something. Like, have you ever actually had to sit and watch iCarly? I yes. have not. Good God. <laughs> Tell me. I share your pain, Alex. I share Ouch. your pain. Uh, or that's so Raven. I, I nearly beat my head into a bloody pulp having to watch some of that once. <clears throat> anyway, on that depressing image, uh, let's briefly talk about the... Uh, again, briefly, because we don't have to go into huge amounts of depth. People can find out for themselves or not. Uh, into the six main core characters uh, the the, uh, the pony friendship circle. Twilight Sparkle, who I actually think will appeal to a, a lot of geeks out there because she is unsure of her own abilities. Very bookish, very organized. Mm. And She's also easy. Also a wizard. Also a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> very easy to stress out if uh, things are not going according to plan. Yeah, I, wa- I watched the uh, one where she becomes super obsessive. Was it uh, less, uh, Lesson Zero? Lesson Zero? That one's incredible. That's the, at the end of every episode, she writes a, uh, a letter to, or she dictates a letter. Cause that's the thing, ponies can't really use their hooves to write. Usually they are, they, they write using a pencil in their mouth. If they're magic, they can use their unicorn horn to levitate things. Or in this case, she dictates to her dragon spike who can belch fire and teleport the letter to Princess Celestia. And she says, this is what I learned in this episode. This episode, Lesson Zero, she hasn't got anything to report at the end of this particular week. And the sun's, you know, going to go down and she's going to be seen as tardy. And, uh, yeah, so she absolutely freaks out and goes looking to make trouble so that that there can be some sort of resolution and so that she can learn something about friendship. It's great seeing her become a twitching mess. I just know the animators are having a fun time on this show. It's really easy to 
see, particularly with Pinkie Pie, once we get to her. I think they have a blast animating that character. Well, let's talk about Pinkie Pie next, then. Pinkie Pie struck me immediately as the annoying one, and I thought, oh, God, she's really going to great, isn't she? She's super exuberant, super in-your-face, very happy about everything, bounces around, laughs a lot, shrieks, throws parties, and it, it is like a child giddy on lemonade all the time. And I thought, this character is going to do my nutting. But she bounces like Pepe Le Pew. There's a little sound when she does bounce. And eventually, I started to really relish her being on screen. And that I did not expect. Did you see the party of one? Yes. Okay. When I made sure to suggest that one. <laughs> yeah. She is under the impression that they uh, are not going to come and they're making excuses not to come to the second party in a row that she is putting out. And uh, all the colour drains out of her and she starts to become paranoid. And they actually use the whole colour draining uh, for the uh, beginning of the uh, second series as well. It's actually very effective as a way of showing zest for life literally draining away and subtle signs of depression setting in. Yeah, it turns out they're planning a surprise party for her, but the sight of seeing someone who is very annoying stuck on her own, only being annoying on her own, uh, and slowly going crazy as a result is, is again, it's, it's not dissimilar to Lesson Zero. She becomes Tigger without his bounce. For whatever reason, any time one of these characters starts kind of unraveling insanity, it makes for a good show. Uh, so, yeah, stick with Pinkie Pie. You might immediately want to turn off the show because of her, but eventually you might stick with the show again because of her. I think she's one of the characters that, as an animator, I always enjoy. The animators just get to do cartoony, fun stuff mm. with her. Like, say she has been wearing a goofy little mask with glasses and a little horn and hair and all that sort of you stuff. You mean the uh, Groucho Marx costume? It, it, yeah, or something like That's that. turned up at say least she, once. Say she takes it off and it, like, just puts it on the ground, and she wants to put it back on. She does not pick it up. She just slams her face into the ground and it's back on. <laughs> <laughs> she will... Do, there are a lot of re- animation references that she often does, like you said with the Pepe Le Pew thing, where she's just bouncing around. They're, they have done literal Pepe Le Pew sequences with her and another character, where she's just quietly, bou- kind of just slowly bouncing around, always showing up where these frantically escaping characters are sprinting to. Mm. If there's anybody who's going to be breaking the fourth wall and breaking all physics, even with inside that world, she will be the one to do it. <laughs> They don't break the fourth wall that often. Uh, Not once has anyone actually looked at... Oh, no, actually, that's not true. Uh, It was in the first episode or something. Applejack actually looked into the camera, and I think it was something that Pinkie Pie had done. It might actually have been at the first party. It was just for a brief shot, and it might not actually have been intentional, but, uh, yeah, she looked at the camera. Which brings me to Applejack. My current favourite. Wow, that's my favourite as well. There are various reasons why. One, like I said, she's she's the work hard uh, horse. She pushes herself to the limit and beyond uh, out of well, what she considers to be uh, her duty and, and takes on board other people's duties. Um, in the episode Apple Buck Season, she uh, runs herself ragged. Again, that's another one where their basic personalities are left unchecked to uh, to wreak their havoc on the actual ponies themselves. She has She's kind of like Tiana in... Um, uh, Princess and the Frog, again, she's got this kind of southern, almost like rogue in uh, X-Men back in the 90s, cowgirl thing going on. Yeah, very southern belle kind of... Uh... Mm. Oh yeah, actually no more cowgirl. Cause, Ranch like, not, hands, not, not, not southern not in a, yeah, Not yeah. a do declare. Not dainty at all, <laughs> very much just... Like, the, we gotta wrangle up these ponies! Like, you know... Yeah. Ju- the, uh, one of my favourite episodes is um, Bridal Gossip. 
which A, for the, uh, the character of Zakora, who's really visually striking. B, for Pinkie Pie's little song about she's an enchantress, which is, again, a great little bit of animation, leaving her at the end panting with her little tummy going up and down. She's like... <laughs> C, for uh, Fluttershy's sudden, almost Eeyore-like voice, which um, made Lyra fall about laughing. And, um, and telling me why that particular joke was funny. And D, because Applejack gets shrunk to a tiny pony size, yet still has, you know, a, a huge amount of, um, energy and manages to actually wrangle a malfunctioning Rainbow Dash, uh, with a lasso and ride her. For some reason, uh, Applejack with a tiny squeaky voice works even, almost even better as a character. And they called her Apple Teeny. I was like, this is a kid's show? <laughs> And yeah, of course, her brother is Big Macintosh, which we all had a good little laugh about. Yep, she has an enormous family, and which tends to just be a series of apple puns, including um, Granny Smith. One of the only nods to aged ponies in the entire series. There's also rumors, well, amongst the fandom, and it's been subtly kind of confirmed, but uh, that she's actually an orphan. Because you never see her parents uh, throughout the entire series. Mm. And in a later episode, there is a uh, family reunion, and they're not there, but yeah. there are two shooting stars in the distance. And she openly acknowledges those stars as she uh, mentions the fact that not everyone might be able to come to that next family reunion. See, that's where this show falls down for me a little bit in terms of I want that to be an episode where she talks about her parents. That's that's why Avatar, for me, does, hits every ball out of the park. I want that level of depth and, and drama and characterization. And obviously, I can't expect it all the time. But there's some times when I kind of wish that... Like, um, I was watching the... Uh, I watched nearly four hours worth today, um, just for research. But the beginning of season two, I won't spoil exactly uh, what happens, but wouldn't it just have been better if Rainbow Dash had never left? Yeah. And because of her unyielding loyalty, she never stopped looking for them. Mm, yeah, I could see that. And then that is the thing that makes them all go suddenly back to color again. But you know, ultimately, what they had to do is they had to find her on a cloud and then lasso her, which is a good action sequence. But again, it, it doesn't really tie in with the whole notion of allegorical depression if it can be solved by just reading old letters. I could see it going. I could see it going that way and working quite well. Yeah. But then again, that's just me being super demanding. Yeah. Bringing up the Avatar thing, like I would love seeing that kind of uh, characterization as well. I, I can understand that they're aiming a bit younger for the mm-hmm. target audience here, so they may. I could see them maybe doing eventually a episode for like Applejack's parents and that whole thing, but I could also seeing it being fairly light, maybe not quite to the yeah characterization. It, it's not going to be Avatar doing it of course i know that's a, it's avatar might be the best animated show ever made and it's it's ridiculous of me to expect that of uh shows but ultimately we're moving forwards now and sure. so they have that as a jumping off point that the bar has been raised the gauntlet has been thrown down and i will constantly expect excellence from what i'm watching speaking of excellence rainbow dash Another one of my absolute favourites. This is the tomboy of the uh, group. If they're, if I suppose actually Applejack's pretty tomboyish as well. Super sporty, flies extremely fast, fast enough to create a sonic rain boom. A little bit headstrong. I, I get the feeling that the world moves too slowly for her, and so she's very, very impatient. I can relate. Yeah, I can see her having that. She's got a bit of an ego on her as well, which gets her into trouble occasionally, and not always ex- incredibly sensitive either. 
though we do get to see that she does have the uh, capacity for being, you know, a good friend, and that loyalty does come out, but it's sometimes just her, you know, complete and utter lack of other people's view towards her own, you know, inflated ego just seems to override every bit of it, and a lot of people don't like her for that, but um, Hurricane Fluttershy is one of the episodes that I uh, suggested for Alex to see because that's one of her stronger episodes where she's support, uh, supportive of Fluttershy, and it's less about what she wants, and she has to accept the fact of her own friend's limitation and her own limitations. Yeah, it's something that she definitely has the capacity for. She just occasionally has to be reminded of it. Speaking of Fluttershy, uh, she is, uh, as, as you would uh, expect from her name, delicate like a butterfly and extremely shy. She loves animals and they are able to usually bring out the, the most uh, exuberant side of her. But uh, she's the one that I actually have had the most difficulty really warming to because um, very, very shy people tend to be very intimidated by me. And thus, I don't get to know them very well. But she's Lyra's favorite. And Dan, you were saying that Carrie is probably closest to Fluttershy. I would say so, yeah. Not not necessarily to that extreme, but there's a lot of uh, personality overlap. It does make it all the more entertaining and funny for me when, because underneath all the shyness, if Fluttershy gets upset about something enough, mm. she will certain things will trigger her, and she will become extremely powerful. She, will she become, has some fire. <laughs> she, yes, underneath she. If she, I'm trying to think, what are the specific things that'll trigger it? Her if friends being in ang- danger. Yeah, if she just gets angry enough, I guess. Mm. So, dragon shy would be a specific episode for folks to track down for that one. And uh, putting your hoof down in um, episode, I mean, uh, season two, they have an entire episode dedicated to her actually learning how to be assertive and how taking it too far can, you know completely and early switch you to the other side of the spectrum. I have got to show Lyra that one. The moment she's being um, uh, pushed around and badgered by a boy at school, and I'm trying to teach her how to be able to say, no, back off, but without being too aggressive and overcompensating. We'll show her that one and um, see if you can show her One Bad Seed, because uh, One Bad Seed is actually one about uh, bullying and it's kind of the, you know, how to deal with that and how to view bullies, you know, not to just completely and utterly demonize them to, you know, try and be sympathetic, but, you know, understand that you don't need to let them push you around. Yeah. That would be a good one. And the sixth pony is Rarity, who, again, is tough to love for a lot of people. And I've actually had some some people saying nasty things about her on Twitter just today. But she is the posh one. She is the um, slightly ivory tower pony. Each of them has a, an element that gets uh, uh, attributed to them in the, in the first episode. An element of friendship. So honesty, loyalty, compassion, laughter, and magic. And hers is generosity. And as it turns out throughout the show, while she might seem overly entitled, she does a lot of things just for other people. She will work herself into a frenzy to make other people happy. And she's ridiculously scrupulous about that and very exacting about exactly what should make them happy to a point where she occasionally pushes them into, well, do you you like it? Do you like it? Underneath it all, she is actually, um, she's what the wealthy should be, which is conscientious and able to actually uh, give of herself. 
Well, if you notice that she actually comes from a rural town. She mm. lives in Ponyville, and she aspires to be, you know, higher up. She wants to be aristocratic and fancy, but she has these down-home roots that, you know, have taught her other ways aside of just high society. Yeah. So it's kind of that melding of the two worlds. She's the type of character who could have potentially been very off-putting, unlike mm. Pinkie Pie, but in a different sense. We're just with that kind of, uh, that kind of personality and the way she acts but i think through a combination of really entertaining vocal delivery and just the episodes that do let you see her strong points and what makes her a great friend a great character one episode i really like is the art of the dress one in which she i don't know if you've seen this one but in which she goes to make dresses for the dresses for the grand galloping gala for all of her friends and uh speaking as somebody who who professionally has to make things for a client or make things for somebody else that <laughs> I that's like anybody who has had to make art or work in graphic design or anything else for a client or for a boss completely understands and knows that pressure of I made something that is legitimately great but they don't like it and now I'm having to, to make the thing they like I'm going to have to make something subpar and they're going to be asking, putting all sorts of demands for these ridiculous things, and I don't like the way this is going, but it's going to make them happy, and they just, it's, I think a lot of people will completely understand that situation. I think that's when the character, I warm to that character a lot. I am, of course, a freelancer and have occasionally been in that scenario myself. (laughs) (laughs) But usually we find out a way to work it out. Usually so, but it's just the pressures are familiar. Yeah. I also like the one where uh, she and Applejack, uh, something to do with sleeping. Oh, look before you sleep. Look the, before uh, you sleep. Yeah, the sleepover one where... They sleepover yeah. with Twilight. It clashes that they're two diametrically opposed, it would appear, personalities of, you know, the girl who doesn't mind getting muddy as long as the job gets done, and the girl who would rather do the pretty clean things. Uh, it ends up being that a giant tree falls into the... Um, bed. The other giant tree... <laughs> Yeah, it falls into the bedroom, which is located within another giant tree. Um, and it was a giant branch. And uh, Rarity starts, you know, the, the, the wind and the rain are blowing into around the room. And Rarity is daintily putting away books on the shelf. And Applejack has to pretty much beg her to stop doing the little things and deal with the big things. And, you know, occasionally just get muddy for it. It's, uh, it's a good episode. And likewise, uh, Applejack has to learn that like, if you mind these details, sometimes these big problems won't happen in the first place. It's a nice... Yeah. The episode resolves in a nice way where they're both right. They just both had something to learn from each other. Yeah. And of course, um, Twilight spends the entire episode freaking out because she wants to have the absolute best uh, sleepover. In checklist form. <laughs> Again, the, the thing with Twilight should ultimately be that you know a lot of people will be able to relate to her, but it is kind of a sort of ease back on the checklist, folks. You There's can't have everything room. you plan for. Yeah. A lot of people I know, actually, that uh, that's kind of an important one. And on that note, I think it's time for the At The Gala song. I've actually held off on clips for this podcast because out of context and without visual stimulus there was a high chance of actually putting newcomers off the show. So I apologise to fans for that. But I think we've explained enough about all six characters now for you guys to listen to this really rather catchy song, which is all about setting your expectations unrealistically high and the fantasy of that perfect party night. I can't believe we're finally here. With all that we've imagined, the reality of this night is sure to make this the best night ever. 
Of the royals, they will meet fair rarity. They will see I'm just as regal at the gala. They will find him, my prince charming, and how gallant he will be. He will treat me like a lady tonight at the gala. The only other major character throughout the show is Spike, who, as I've said before, is pony-whipped. He's like this little kid who hangs out with Twilight Sparkle, enamoured of rarity, and uh, kind of works as her messenger and um, dog's body. Anything more on Spike, apart from the fact that he looks like Spyro the Dragon? Well, later on he gets a lot more characterization about his own conflict of identity of being a dragon amongst ponies. Um, I I didn't get to... uh, Put it in as one of the episodes you watch because I didn't think you have enough time. But uh, it's called Dragon Quest, and he goes out on his own journey to figure out what it means to be a dragon. So he maybe kind of, he's the male that we that I was talking about before that really needs to be built up as a character so that there's something for boys to relate to. Because at the moment he is, from what I've seen, too much like a little kid. 
Well, that is a fully, like, they have a lot of males. There's lots of, like, moments of thrash metal in the background while these dragon, like, boy dragons are literally roughhousing about. And it's very, it's very interesting way of, uh, looking at things because he gains a perspective of who he is, but, you know, realizes that what he is does not define him. The other, um, Point of contention on the show is the Cutie Mark Crusaders, which oh, are the... Oh, the Cutie Mark Crusaders. <laughs> okay, uh, oh, you love them. Uh, these are the junior ponies, so Apple uh, Jack's sister, Apple Bloom, uh, who is, I mean, what? So say if Apple Jack and company are like 15 years old, these kids are like, what, 10, 11, maybe a bit younger? Eight to ten, I'd say. Ten. Uh, and they're um, kind of obsessing about this coming-of-age a scenario of getting a cutie mark, which is like a the little tattoo on the uh, side of their flank, uh, which almost always keys in with an aspect of their personality. Uh, and obviously, this is a, a great way of, of um, getting the little kids more involved with it, and this sense of you know growing up. What's my body doing? This is the uh, part of the show that kind of grates with me a bit more because the characters. Uh, from the episodes I've seen, are not as well defined as the Central Six or as interesting. And they seem to be going back an awful lot to these guys. In their defense, you guys? I think the not as well defined aspect is actually kind of a big part of what... It's just a big part of their whole little story that c- keeps on continuing is that, that that the acquisition of that cutie mark, which is basically kind of like... You could argue that it, it sort of equates to puberty and... and uh, the demon in or, uh, his dark materials, or just um, in life, or yeah, or just finding out, figuring out who you are, mm. is kind of their whole journey. That's their whole main quest, is to figure out. They don't necessarily man or muppet. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I can see why they, uh, because they are younger characters and have younger character problems, and it's those episodes do skew maybe a little bit, just a little bit younger and the way they're appreciated. But I'm glad they're there because Lyra's getting a lot of stuff about, you know, mean of mean classmate girls and, and how they tend to, uh, um, there's a lot of peer pressure going on there. And it is, there is an obvious difference in the maturity levels between those ponies and the, the main ones. So, uh, you know, I'm, it may not be my cup of tea and I never really expected this show to be at all, but I'm glad it's in there for Lyra. Yeah, I think it benefits the show, even though I can see why some, why, uh, I can understand totally why you wouldn't enjoy them as much. I like them because I find them to be a very realistic portrayal of children. It's like they learn such great, huge, life-changing things, but then it's, you know, two step backwards for every one step forward. They always forget. It's like every little victory, there's just, you know, a smaller defeat because they're always going on to the next big thing. And it's like, and I remember being a kid and, you know, being like that where it's like, oh, I've got to find my place in life and i got to figure out what I want to do with myself. I still haven't. <laughs> you're 20 you're still a kid <laughs> I feel like Granny Smith right now <laughs> hi hello Miss Sweeney could you please come in my office for a second I'm heading home for the day and I thought it'd be good for you and me to check in I met with a gal from Mexico and they do have the slab cabinets in white she thinks we can take measurements down at the site if we do that, we'll be just fine, Miss Sweeney. That's all I got to say to you at this time, Miss Sweeney. Actually, there's one other thing I'm on my mind. Ooh, 
I think we're gonna we'll wrap it up there because I think ultimately um, folks listening to this will now have a, a decent handle on what the show is like. Uh, either they will go, right, I'll check a bit of that out, or, uh, you know, my best hope is that they will have been entertained by what we've been talking about and see a certain amount of applicability to uh, concepts they're familiar with. It is a show worth checking out, at least having a little look at. It certainly may not be for everybody. You, you, may, not, you may not see the appeal at all. Totally fine, but I'd say it's... Like a lot of the great kids TV that's coming out right now, it's worth at least having a glance at. Yeah, I say go in with a bit of an open mind and, you know, see if you like it. Um, you don't have to though. Don't feel like that you are being forced to, you know, mm. have to get part of this. I think that that's a big issue that a lot of people feel that people are trying to force it upon them. But mm. yeah. I wouldn't just reflexively dismiss it though, like we probably would with any of the other my Little Pony type animated series because this one does actually have quality to it. It's just a matter of whether it will appeal to you or not. As for bronies and being able to understand them, uh, like I said regarding Toys R Us, just go back and hang around the toy aisle for the boys action figure section for a couple of minutes and work out the various themes and colors that the lads have been fed their entire life and uh, then consider what a breath of fresh air it is to get a little bit of pink and still being able to breathe without actually, you know, having it... Oppressively falling down on you everywhere. Or, or alienate you, ultimately. Yeah. Because um, there, there's nothing more unwatchable than something that makes you feel like you're excluded. I think there's a part of all or most of us males who actually can appreciate and enjoy something that is classified as girly. I think there's a lot of us who probably did grow up maybe with sisters or cousins or something. We probably did play with like the Barbies and the ponies and stuff like that along with them. We probably didn't have our own, but we would play along and enjoy that kind of thing. We definitely can enjoy cute things. We can enjoy lots of stuff. I think it's uh, something that we generally keep quiet about because we don't want to be uh, mocked, but I think that we all have a capacity to enjoy that, and I think that's probably what this show is tapping into for a lot of the people who have really gotten on board with it. And at the end of the day, uh, when you examine the creative team behind this, they are most definitely not crab people. There is there is a huge amount of real humanity there, and they clearly love what they're doing, and that shows through in the work. One thing we haven't delved into on this podcast is the sheer enormity of creative work that's gone on in the fan community connected with this show. Check out YouTube and Google Images for countless personal endeavours in fan art and contributions to the remix culture. That is all for me this week. Next time I'm back with another unkillable cartoon movie and toy combo franchise, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It is a two-episode show covering both phases of their journey to date. That would be 1984 through to their death in 1997 with the live-action TV series The Next Mutation, followed by their resurrection in 2003 all the way up to the Nickelodeon show. And we're going to be focusing um, for a, uh, a large chunk of uh, each part on the 1990 TMNT movie and then the 2007 uh, CGI film, which I actually really recommend people go out and check out. So you've been listening to Digital Gonzo. I've been your host, Alex Shaw. Many thanks again to my wonderful guests, Daniel Floyd and Connor Milford. Uh, it has been quite literally magical. And uh, just before we go, I will at least mention that there is a older male pony, usually a background character. Who's got a little hourglass as his little cutie mark thing on his flank. With David Tennant hair named Dr. Hooves. Okay, so we're actually going to end on 
Weezer's Pork and Beans, which has nothing to do with My Little Pony and everything to do with the ethos behind loving something that the rest of the world may or may not approve of. Do 